Haggai, first chapter up until chapter 2, verse 9. In the second year of King Darius, on the first day of the sixth month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai to Zerubbabel, son of Shelatiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. This is what the Lord Almighty says. These people say, the time has not yet come for the Lord's house to be built. Then the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai, Is it a time for you yourselves to be living in your panelled houses while this house remains a ruin? Now, this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. You have planted much. You have harvested little. You eat, but never have enough. You drink, but never have your fill. You put on clothes, but are not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. Go up into the mountains and bring down timber and build the house so that I may take pleasure in it and be honoured. Says the Lord, you expected much, but see, it turned out to be little what brought what you brought home i blew away why declares the lord almighty because of my house which remains a ruin while each of you is busy with his own house therefore because of you the heavens have withheld their dew and the earth its crops I called for a drought on the fields and the mountains, on the grain, the new wine, the oil, and whatever the ground produces, on men and cattle, and on the labour of your hands. Then Zerubbabel, son of Shelatiel, Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the whole remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God, and the message of the prophet Haggai, because the Lord their God had sent him. And the people feared the Lord. Then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, gave this message of the Lord to the people. I am with you, declares the Lord. So the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, son of Shelatiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the spirit of the whole remnant of the people. They came and began to work on the house of the Lord Almighty, their God, on the 24th day of the sixth month in the second year of King Darius. On the 21st day of the seventh month, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Haggai, spoke, speak to Zerubbabel, son of Shelatiel, governor of Judah, to Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and to the remnant of the people. Ask them, who of you is left who saw this house in its former glory? How does it look to you now? Does it not seem to you like nothing? But now be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, O Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord, and work. For I am with you, 
declares the Lord Almighty. This is what I covenanted with you when you came out of Egypt, and my spirit remains among you. Do not fear. This is what the Lord Almighty says. In a little while, I will once more shake the heavens and the earth, the sea and the dry land. I will shake all nations, and the desired of all nations will come, and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord Almighty. The silver is mine, and the gold is mine, declares the Lord Almighty. The glory of this present house will be greater than the glory of the former house, says the Lord Almighty. And in this place, I will grant peace, declares the Lord Almighty. Most of you will be familiar with me. I've been a couple of times now and I've travelled up from Haywood Baptist Church. Really, I suppose we have to start by, um, you know, during the worship, there was just a sense for me to just have to say, where would we be without the grace, love and mercy of God? I mean, sometimes I think if I could tell you what I was like, you wouldn't believe it. And I can't believe it. Sometimes you have to pinch yourself just to wonder whether this grace of God is really real or whether you're just dreaming. God is so good. Now, so in preparation, I was thinking about this church. I've been a couple of times and I'm always impressed with the heart that I feel inside this building. I'm always impressed by the quality of what you do. And yet what came to me was the need to bring something of an encouraging word this morning from God. Now, I'm not going to say that I woke up in the middle of the night and I had a vision. It was just impressed upon my heart to bring a word of encouragement to this church. Now... When Sally read that passage, and if you followed it, you could get the impression that this message could be quite condemning and challenging. But I'm going to just sort of take a little route with the text to help us perhaps to understand what might have been going on. And then we're going to take an imaginative leap into here and now in Lum and ask some questions that might arise through what... God brings to light. So the situation of the Jewish nation at this time is they'd gone into exile and then they were brought back into their homeland. And what you've got to imagine is before these people went into exile, they were a great nation. And they had the Davidic kingdom, and then they had Solomon and all these riches and all this splendor. And perhaps they were very proud of what they had. Perhaps they didn't heed the warnings of Scripture that when God prospers you, remember it's the Lord that prospers you. Perhaps, perhaps they got a bit too cocksure of themselves. Perhaps a little bit too arrogant. Thought they could do whatever they wanted. And then all of a sudden, this great nation was taken into captivity in Babylon. And now we arrive at the point where this prophet 
is prophesying to a group of people who have come home and he's saying there's some things that we've got to now start to get on with. Now I want you to realise that perhaps for the people that the prophet is speaking to, they've gone through a situation as a nation where all their hopes and dreams and prosperity has been torn from them. Perhaps now it's great that they've got home, but they wonder now whether there's any guarantee that if they start to build again, well, it might just get destroyed all over again. You know, when bad things happen to us, they can create a sense of trauma, can't they? And sometimes that sense of trauma discourages us. It sort of debilitates us. And so I don't think it's illogical that the people Haggai is speaking to are focusing on their own houses. Because what happens when everything goes wrong in life we often think, well, about the only thing we can focus on and control is what we have for ourselves. And often, it's not that these people woke up and said, we, we think we'll just neglect doing what God wants. There was a significant trauma inside that nation which caused them to think, perhaps God will forsake us again. Perhaps the easiest thing we can do is, is forget about all this being a righteous nation business. And just look after ourselves. Now, I can understand that because I've done that myself. And I continue to, to often kind of gravitate to that when things are challenging. I mean, for instance, when something goes wrong in your life, you know, you took a punt on God, you've decided you've got a vision and you trust in him and something goes wrong. And I guarantee that the first thing that will happen to you is you'll think, ah, it was much better when I was an admin assistant or something like that. Well, you'll always look at the past when you just manage things for yourself and think that was much better than this risk-taking life. Okay. So... I just almost want to, to lay that as, as, as a reason for why the people at this time were focusing on themselves rather than what God wanted. Now, the problem you see with a life that's self-obsessed, I mean, it's not a bad thing to look after yourself, but when you are the priority, as these people were the priority, there are things that get neglected and there are often things that might be the most important things. You see, God always calls us forward. But often when we've experienced trauma, sickness, whatever it is, we tend to be the ones that look backwards. I mean, wasn't, wasn't that the case with the Israelites? The moments they got sick of eating this leek and onion soup in the desert, they wanted to go back to Egypt. You know, we seem to have this default to go back and just look after ourselves, whereas God calls us forward to something that's sacrificial and that's bigger than what we are in and of ourselves. So in this scene, the word of the Lord comes to the prophet 
and the prophet addresses the people. And in a way, the prophet is very disparaging about what they're doing. He says, you know, is this a time for you to to be having all your panelled houses, to, to be looking after yourself when my house is speaking on behalf of God? My house lies in ruins. Now, in the Old Testament period, the temple was a symbol of God's like manifest presence amongst his people. So to neglect the temple was, was neglecting your calling and your spiritual duty. And so in a way, what God is challenging these people to do is to reorder and reprioritize their lives around building something that speaks of God's presence being with his people. Now it's slightly different in the New Testament. We understand we are the temple and we're built together in that way. But in in this time, that was a particular feature. The temple spoke powerfully of God being with his people. So God comes along and he challenges them and it rouses them into action. They suddenly realise, yes, we, we've been neglecting the very thing that we should have been focusing on. And so they get to work together. Now, there's some wonderful um, bits in here. Now, I've lost my page. I have this mark somewhere else. There we are. So God comes along and speaks through Haggai and he stirs up the people and the people begin building and there's a number of things that that God says and in particular God says to them, I I am with you, I am going to be with you, as you obey what I command, I will be with you. And this stirs up the people to build. You see, God's desire is, is to be with his people. Now, I work with asylum seekers, and last week we're doing some baptism preparation courses, and uh, we dealt with the Trinity. People from a Muslim background um, don't necessarily, they find it difficult to comprehend the Trinity. And the one thing that we, we looked at, because you know, you can talk about all these analogies of, um, what is it, steam, ice, and all of that kind of stuff. And I said, that doesn't really satisfy me, because I think the Trinity is all about the fact that God is love, God is community, and God is relationship. And the uniqueness of the Christian gospel and, and, and the Christian God is that he's absolutely fine being with people that are other than him. For eternity, he's always been sharing himself amongst himself uh, with his son and with the spirit. The heart of God is love, and, and love is only expressed in relationship. So God always wants to make a people for himself, because that glorifies him. So here, let's get on with the temple, says the Lord through the prophet and they start to get on with the temple and it's interesting in chapter 2 then the word of the Lord comes again and the word of the Lord here 
It's almost as if God knows that the people are looking at what they're building and thinking, this is nothing like what we had before. This is, t- this is different. This, this doesn't look as, uh, as good as before. We didn't have the prosperity we had before to make this temple great and glorious. And so the word of the Lord comes again to encourage him. And what God says is, look, don't worry about what you see here. Don't worry that what you're building doesn't look as good as what has been before. Because it's my presence that will bring the blessing on your work together. It's not your skill. It's not riches that you acquire. It's my presence that will bring blessing to your work. And there is a great promise, isn't there? He says, you know, you haven't got all these uh, things of prosperity now, but once you build this and once you trust me, things are going to come back to you that you was losing out on when you was focusing on yourself. Do you understand? Yeah? So he says, you know, you've stopped building your panel houses, you're starting to build this temple, and my blessing will be on that obedience. And he promises the prosperity you once had, the peace you once had, will return to this house, no matter what it looks like in its present state. So why have I chosen this to talk about for everybody in this room? Well, there's a number of reasons, but I think the biggest one is, hand on heart, because I got saved when I was 17, and then I had a a number of years of my own kind of self-imposed exile. I came back to the Lord in 2014, and one of the things that I've noticed... The church isn't like what it was when I first got saved. Now, I don't mean it's backslidden beyond repair or anything like that. It's not just the church, but the world has changed too. And one of the problems is, the church isn't the centre of people's lives anymore. It wasn't so much that way when I was 17, but a lot more people entered the doors of Haywood Baptist Church... We had more young people. There was a sense of hope. I mean, those who experienced the charismatic outpouring, you know, you'll tell stories, won't you, of how it was great. People just got a guitar, sung a simple chorus, and it was like the Holy Spirit was amongst us. And yet somehow at the moment, there's a feeling that the church itself is in a kind of exile. People talk about almost Christianity now being on the margins and, you know, is peripheral instead of at the centre. And for some of us, that creates a trauma in our hearts. And that trauma can often make us do two things. One, it can make us just think, well, it was just a daft dream, wasn't it, that we was going to change the world. Let's just go home and focus on ourselves. But the other thing that can happen is the church can decide to batten down the hatches and just wait until Jesus comes again. <laughs> and it's true, isn't it? We can think, well, we'll just we'll preserve what we've got. Now, 
I think God calls us, no matter what, to be committed to build his kingdom amongst ourselves, but to also express that out in the world. You see, Peter says in one of his his letters, and also in Ephesians it says very much the same, we are the living stones of this new temple. And we're being built together with Christ as the chief cornerstone. But we can get discouraged. We can look around. We can see how everything's changing. We don't know what to do anymore. I talked at a church last week and I said the rising global terrorism has caused a lot of problems for the church because we've had to look at ourselves again. And look at the text that we've got and wonder whether we've done some bad things as well. We've had to start reflecting. And because now other religions seem to be competing with us, perhaps in different ways, we become insecure. We retract. Life becomes difficult. And it's easy. To want to just think, well, let's just look after ourselves. You know, there's a there's a spirit spirituality that uh, is is inherently sinful, and that's just I'm going to look after my own spiritual life and not care about anybody else. But we can do it. God calls us out. He calls us to a task. He calls this church to a task and a mission. And sometimes we have to wake up and realise there is still a future. There is still a glorious future for God's people. And there is a glorious purpose for this world. Even though when you look at the news, it looks like the world's heading for a catastrophe. But the problem is, most people are either forsaken the faith or have just battened down the hatches in the church and are refusing to bring good news out into the world. I said quite controversially preaching last week, I was talking about loving your enemies and this is another call of how we get out and I said wouldn't it be wonderful if the church wholeheartedly embraced the teachings of Jesus and wasn't suspicious of migrants but decided to shake their hand and welcome them in so that suddenly they think these people are kind, these people are nice. Often we've got people in churches that are scared, suspicious. Oh gosh, all these migrants are coming to take over the world. Well only if you don't go out and love them, what else are they going to do? So I work with asylum seekers. Part of what God's called my church to get on board with and build is a multicultural church, which you would have never expected in Haywood. And what the Iranians say, the the Kurds are sunny, so they're a bit different, but they all say it was kindness that made us see that the way of Jesus was the best way. Kindness. So we need to re-energise ourselves as God's people. Now, I want to encourage you all because, because often people have great hearts but perhaps don't know what to do. 
I mean, I think in some respects, we can hide from the world a bit too much in the church. And it stops us from building, stops us from engaging. This is the place for encouragement. This is the place where we get edified. But it's impotent if it doesn't go out there in the world and make a difference. But the problem, the problem is we have all these narratives within the church coming at us telling us that group of people are evil and that group of people are bad and this group of people are bad. We just walk around fearful. Actually, God is at work everywhere. And it's the task of the church to find out where he's working, get on board with it and get going with it. Do you understand? We, we, we often uh, write ourselves off. You've all got good news. You've all got good news on the inside of you. You've all got wonderful news to bring into this world. And it's not about wearing sandwich boards and shouting on street corners. It's about being friends with those who don't believe they could ever be loved by God. How many people write themselves off? It's a wonderful stat in it. People don't come to church because they think it's not welcoming. Isn't that? That's awful, isn't it? Go and sort that out. Let's sort that out. Yeah, let's sort that out because I think the church is the hope of the world. I think we have a piece of good news in Jesus Christ that is explosive, that can change people, that can reform people. I believe we have good news for everybody. Everybody, not just people like us. And my good news, my version of the good news doesn't say, accept Jesus and become exactly like me. My version of the good news says, God is love, accept Jesus and let's see where it goes, let's journey together. My version of the good news says, not that you are, but I always pick on you. <laughs> If you was on the front row and you was an alcoholic or a drug addict and you recovery, my good news doesn't say change all your clothes, pray all the right prayers, do all the same actions. My good news says we're brothers in Christ, let's journey together. Um, <laughs> you know, that's, that's good news. Bad news, I think, is, is come into this church, let's lock the doors and let's all become self-obsessed Pharisees for the rest of our lives, just judging the rest of the world. I hate all of that kind of stuff. I often, as a minister in training, I don't know why people do this to me. Uh, if I go places, some people, they always introduce me to important people. I, I went somewhere recently and there was a bishop from uh, like an African church and somebody pulled me towards him to, and I'm like, like seriously I get it but I'm not bothered, I'd rather be introduced to somebody that needs to know the love of God in Jesus Christ I don't have to tell them exactly what the gospel is I'd, I'd, I'd rather be in the dirt of the world because that's where we're called to be we're called to be making God's kingdom in this world 
and it's uniquely contained within the church, but it's supposed to flow out of this place into the world. So I want to encourage you today, if you feel as a church that you've kind of, you're on the sidelines now, because a lot of churches feel like this, you do have a future. There is something for you to do. There is a call on the life of this church that you can fulfill in this community. I want to say, you as an individual, you might have gone through or be going through something that has brought trauma into your life. And I want to say, God still has a purpose. God's presence will be with you as you build your life around his purpose. Bad things do happen to Christians, but God is still with us. So if in your personal life today, you have had a trauma, I want to say to you, God is still with you. I went on a pastoral visit this last week, and as I, as I drove from this visit, I was almost in tears at, at the incredible power of God's love and grace. And this was with a very old lady, and uh, those of you who are getting on in age, you realise, um, a bit like a computer, you end up needing lots of updates, and then you need loads of thick parts replaced in your life. So I went to visit this wonderful lady and she's had a hip replaced and now she's got gout in one of her knees. And, and I sat with her and um, she was one of the most gracious people. Um, whenever I go and do a pastoral visit with this woman, I leave a lot more blessed than I believe uh, she is left. But anyway, and uh, we prayed together. And I asked whether I could lay hands on her leg and I said look nothing's speaking but we'll just we'll just ask God to improve this situation for you but in the midst of my prayer I realised you know as you're getting on and as your body and as your mind can't do the things it used to do the one thing you need reminding of the one thing you need to know is not that God necessarily heals although he does it's that God is still with you. That can never be taken away. And I think for the church, the church needs to hear the message. God in his grace is still with us. And he still has a plan and purpose for the church together and for you as individuals. And what we need to do is wake up a little bit to God's great plan and God's great purpose in this world. Hold each other's hands. Say, okay, we're going to be courageous and we're going to build. What you build might not look like what you had 10 years ago. But God says, it's my blessing that will make this place rich. It's my blessing that will make your life rich. And bring the peace that you once had.